Well, why don't we stand together for the reading of the Word today. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read verses 10, 11, and 12. So 1 Peter 1, verses 10, 11, and 12 as we get into the Word today. Um, I knew I was on the right track when I woke up early this morning and turned on a preacher on the radio on my app that I have. And sure enough, he read right from this passage and even called it a similar title that, that I called it. And I said, well, Lord, I just got a, con-. and I was just woke up. I just woke up like 530 in the morning. And I felt like, Lord, you gave me a confirmation here. But uh, anyway, 1 Peter 1.10, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Lord, thank you for this passage. Lord, I know you put some thoughts on my heart to share. Help me to articulate these things and to preach the way you would want me to preach today. But Lord, let the word of God go forward. Let it touch people's hearts here in the house, on the live stream, later on as people watch the video. Bless it, Lord, for your glory. Above everything else, Lord, you be glorified through the proclamation of your word today. Let your church be edified and built up and encouraged this morning. We just call upon your name, Lord, to do your work through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Before I get into the message, I just want to take a minute to pray for a couple of things I want to share with you. Uh, just heard that uh, Sandy Bistany had lost a cousin and an aunt uh, in an untimely manner. Uh, last night was one of them, I believe. And I uh, want, want to just pray for a few other people by name. So would you join me in prayer for just a minute? Father, I want to pray for Sandy this morning. Bring your, your comfort to her and to the family that are grieving over the loss of some dear people in their lives. Lord, also we want to pray for Billy Kitteridge. We want to pray for Maria Kinsev. I want to pray, Lord, for Gloria Chris today. I want to pray for Eva Rogers. I want to pray, Lord, for anyone that's dealing with some really difficult health issues. In the name of Jesus, bring your healing. And we thank you and we praise you for it now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, this, uh, these th- three verses, I think, are kind of an interesting uh, couple of verses. And by the way, hi, Karen, back there. Good to see you. Sorry we missed your play, but we heard it was wonderful. <laughs> Hope to see the video soon. But uh, this passage kind of pulls back the curtain, I think you could say, as to what's going on kind of like behind the scenes. Last week, if you remember, we ended with the thought that uh, the trials from ver- verse number 6 are happening to, to make faith be proven, to make faith be established. Our trials and troubles never come to bring us down or to tear us down. Those trials come according to this. They come to lift us up and to strengthen us. 
So uh, faith is revealed as something strong and good and able. And this process of going through the difficulties with faith allows us to prepare for the, what I would call the official meeting with the Lord in verse number seven at his revelation. So his revelation is either going to be when he breaks through the clouds and we're raptured or we die physically and we meet him face to face. But at that moment, all the trials and all the things we deal with are preparing us to be ready for that moment, that time. This process of testing, proving uh, that we experience in verse number nine is called the salvation of our souls. We sense God through the trials. We prepare for an eternity as we go through the trials. So let me reiterate a couple of things I've been saying for the last couple of weeks. The threefold process of salvation. 2 Timothy 1.9 tells us, write that down if you need it. 2 Timothy 1.9. We are saved. We've been saved. We receive Jesus. We, are, we can say to God and to other people, I am saved by the blood of Jesus. But 1 Corinthians 1.18 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to we who are being saved, it's the power of God unto salvation. So we're saved, but we're being saved, meaning my salvation yesterday is over. I need to be saved today. Every day that I'm alive, I need salvation, and I'm being saved every single day. But not only that. Romans 5, 9 tells us that when the wrath of God comes, we shall be saved from that wrath. I believe that that is when the church will be raptured and will be absent during the seven-year tribulation time. But in any case, we're saved, being saved, and we shall be saved in the future. And remember that salvation, as someone so aptly has said, is the absolute greatest miracle that any one of us will ever see in our lives. Someone's life transformed, forgiven, embraced by a loving father. Their life is now usable in God's hands. That is the greatest miracle we will ever experience. So verses 10 through 12, they continue talking about this great salvation. Special, unique, valuable. Been coming for, from a long time. It changes the course of our history. Now in the context of this passage, if you remember back the first part of the chapter, he's writing to verse number one, the pilgrims of the dispersion. The, those that are just passing through, but they've been persecuted, they're traveling, they're avoiding death by running and getting, you know, going to, going to different places. But to those dear people, he's reminding them that this salvation is really precious and very special. It's worth what you're, what you're doing to preserve your life and by proclaiming uh, the gospel through your life. And for us, we can say the same thing. Whatever trial that we might be going through. Now, sometimes, I, this, this is one of the mornings for me. I was, I was over here late last night setting up the communion table, which I love doing, and uh, how to get the right tablecloth and the right tables and how to get the right little things and put, put all the little elements in there nice and neat and, you know, get it all ready to go. It was a little bit of a later night for me. But when I went to sleep, I, I said, you know, I'm so happy we can prepare. This is worth it for me. This is worth what we're doing. Our time, we've been in church for an hour and 15 minutes already. 
And we're just getting into the word now. But we've been worshiping God. It's worth it to worship God. It's worth, worth it to take time to break bread together. It's valuable for us. Now, I don't know what a kind of week everybody had. Sometimes I sense things in the, in the, in the um, sanctuary. I, sense, I just sense, you know, things. So I don't know where everyone is at, but you're here, and that's great. So wherever you, whatever kind of week that you had, if you've been sick or you've been troubled or bothered or somebody bothered you or the guy in front of you was driving you crazy on the road, whatever, God is able to meet your need. And the fact that you're here worshiping God is absolutely worth it. And I want to encourage you to keep going. Amen. Paul wrote in another scripture, 2 Timothy 4, 7, he said, This light affliction, in other words, these trials that we go through, is working out for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So whatever we may be going through is all preparation for the big prize at the end of our lives. So I've entitled the message, How Great a Salvation. We're going to go verse by verse, and then I want to give you some things that will demonstrate how great our salvation really is. So as it says in verse number 10, of this salvation, of, of this, we could say, of this salvation to those pilgrims that is causing you trial and suffering and hardship... Um, this, the, the prophets of old, I'm just going to paraphrase this. The prophets of old inquired and searched carefully regarding this grace that was to come. Now, if you could imagine the prophets of old were, were saying things, prophesying things that they had no clue how it was going to work out. But it says here that they, they have inquired and searched carefully those who prophesied of the grace that was going to come to you. Uh, they, they only had the other prophecies from other prophets. They were trying to piece it all together. And don't forget, they lived under the law of Moses. So now they're prophesying about this wonderful grace that was to come. And they were probably thinking, wow, I want to know about this. But even the prophets didn't really have a clear picture of what they were talking about. Now, verse number 10 makes me think, what prophets is he talking about? Because he doesn't list them. Well, probably all of them, but I could name a few. I think maybe he had Daniel in mind. Daniel 9 talked about the birth of the Messiah, the timing of the Messiah, the death of the Messiah, uh, the, the second coming of the Messiah. Uh, Isaiah talked about the birth and death of Christ. Jeremiah talked about the Lord of the righteous, the one that will come. Zechariah talked about the Messiah riding on the donkey. We know that as Palm Sunday. Malachi talked about the forerunner of the Messiah, comparing him to Elijah, the prophet. He's talking about John the Baptist and God's great love for Israel. So the prophets had pieces to the puzzle. They didn't have it all together. They had pieces. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 16 through 17, Blessed are your eyes that see. Blessed are your ears that hear. Assuredly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and didn't see it. And what you hear and didn't hear it. And then Jesus proceeded to tell a parable to them. If we were to read in Hebrews 11, which we won't go there, but that great chapter of faith, 
It talks about the prophets, Gideon and Barak and uh, Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel, who were all going through various trials and didn't have the whole picture, but they kept prophesying, kept leading, kept doing the things of God. And others who were tortured and mocked and scourged and stoned, sown in two, tempted, slain with the sword, destitute, afflicted. And it says, uh, of whom the world was not even worthy, and yet they didn't receive the promise. And this is something interesting to me. We have the benefit of looking back in, on, on the timeline and seeing, yeah, Jesus came. And all the prophecies came true in Jesus. We look back and we believe that. Now there's other prophecies that are coming in the future. But they were giving prophecies looking forward. They didn't see what they were prophesying. They didn't receive the promise. But it says in that Hebrews 11, God has provided something better for us because we can now look back and see the unfolding of the plan of God. So verse number 10, it tells me that they long to see this salvation. They long to see this grace of God. They're living under the law. And let me just say for a minute, a minute about the grace of God. I'm so glad I was born when I was born. <laughs> and not in the Old Testament days. I'm so glad I was born in the age of grace. Well, when did the age of grace begin, you may ask? The age of grace began in Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples in the upper room, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and Peter preached that day. And the age of grace will continue until the rapture of the church. We are in the age of grace. We're not living under the law. The law has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We're living in the age of grace. So the prophets didn't see it. We see it. We're looking back and we see it. And, and for me, because of what we can look back and see what God did, whatever is coming down the pike, we have a confidence. As that happened, this is going to happen. And the next thing that's going to happen, church, mark my words, mark the word of God. The next thing that's going to happen, the next big thing, is the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the archangel and Christ will appear and the dead in Christ will arise and we who remain will be caught up to be with the Lord forever. That's the next thing that will happen. Hallelujah. So he says in verse number, number 10, they're, 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 they long to, uh, let's see, they've inquired, they searched carefully, they prophesied of the grace that would come they were searching what or what manner of time. Or in other words, they were, they were like thinking, how does this all fit together? The spirit of Christ who was in them. Think about that. Think about Daniel and Isaiah and, and, and Zechariah and all these different prophets. The spirit of Christ was in them, giving them words to say about his birth, his coming. But the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. I, I want to talk just for a minute about the sufferings of Christ. All these were prophesied. Can you imagine giving a prophecy that the Messiah is going to come? He's going to suffer and die and be humiliated. He's going to rise again from the, and, and not seeing the result of the prophecy. What faith those people must have had. To believe in God so strongly, the word of God came to them. The spirit of Christ was on them. And they prophesied these things in spite of how ridiculous it may have sounded at the time. Fast forward to our faith. People say to us, your faith is, is ridiculous. You've never seen Jesus. 
No, I've never seen Jesus, but I know Jesus is in my heart. He lives in my heart. I know that my life was changed by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. My wife knows too. But I know that I've been changed by the presence of God. No one could take that away from me. So the sufferings of Christ, the cross, the blood, the humiliation, the rejection from mankind, the separation from the Father, and the glories that would come, the glory of Christ, the resurrection, the ascension, the the promise to come again a second time, the miracles when he was here, the exaltation at the right hand of the Father, the blessing of the Holy Spirit, the glories of humanity. I believe in verse number 11, there's glories regarding to humanity that would follow the prophecies that came. The prophecies said that a Messiah would come to give new life and new hope. Well, we're the recipients of that. The glories of humanity are a changed life. People being forgiven by the grace of God, making things right with God, being involved in the great commission to go into all the world and tell others of this great salvation. They had all that going on. The Spirit of Christ working in them, yet they didn't know the fulfillment of it. What faith. Verse number 12. To them, this is interesting too, to them it was revealed that, let me, let me paraphrase it. To the prophets, it was revealed to them that they were ministering things to a future generation. Like they kind of put it together like, yeah, we got all these great promises, but it's not really for us right now. It's for a future generation. And, and then he says, uh, things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel by the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me try to articulate what that means, but I want to go back to Acts chapter 2. And Peter knows exactly what he's talking about right here because he's the one who gave the first message on the day of Pentecost. But on that, on that beautiful day when the Holy Spirit fell upon the 120 in the upper room, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the first thing they do, yeah, they speak in tongues, but really the first thing that they did was they preached the word of God. What did Peter do? He's quoting from Joel, the prophet. In these last days, you know, the Spirit of God will fall upon my men, my men and my women, my men servants and maid servants. They'll, the old, uh, young men will dream dreams, old men will have visions. And upon men and women, both much, the Spirit of God will be poured out in these last days. And right at that moment of Pentecost, this verse comes alive. Everything the prophets talked about came to reality at that moment. When under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Peter was preaching the word of God, quoting the prophets. And what do you think happened that day? Everyone said, oh, good job, Peter. And they all went home. I think all of Jerusalem was shaken up. It says that that day people cried out, men and brethren, what should we do? What should we do now? That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's the fruition of the word of the prophets in reality. All that they said came to fruition on the day of Pentecost. And Peter says, well, repent and be baptized and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what do you think? A handful of people came forward? No. 3,000 people came forward on the first day. 3,000 souls got saved. And that's a confirmation of all that was said before. All the prophets, all the prophecies came to fruition at that moment. And you know what I love about this? I am so thankful to God. I thank God every day 
that he saved me and called me and Pamela into ministry. And, and you too. We, we, get to, we get to be a part of this. You see what I'm saying? We get to be a part of this whole grand thing that's happening. We get to realize what we're experiencing, even right now, what we're experiencing right now. Maybe there's somebody online, maybe there's somebody here, I don't know, that needs Jesus. This is an act of God. This is, a, this, is a, this is the reality of the prophets and the word all coming together with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to bring hope and conviction to somebody. Oh, I remember the day. I re- I'll never forget the day when I had conviction of how sinful I was, but how much hope I had that Jesus loved me anyway. That was the Holy Spirit at work. I didn't know what was going on, but right then in my salvation time, that was a reality of why everything that was spoken before came to play in my life and in your life. That's why I can say, and we could say, how great a salvation. This is a great and awesome salvation. Jesus Christ loves me and you. The prophets said it all, and they were just waiting. They didn't see it. I wonder, I wonder what heaven's like. I do. I just, what is Isaiah thinking, you know? I read a commentary. This person said, I, I, I would think that Isaiah would lo- have loved to have read the gospel of John just to see the, 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 uh, the fulfillment of all that he said in the life of Jesus. But I wonder what the, the saints of God in the glory of heaven are thinking. If they, if, well, they must be aware of what's going on down here, but how it all fit together for them. Glorious. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, regarding the gifts of the Spirit, he said, we see through a glass dimly. We don't see the whole picture yet. If anyone tells you they know everything, don't believe them, because they don't. They can't. None of us can. The scripture says we see dimly through the glass. We, we see enough, but we don't see everything. But one day, we'll see clearly everything. This is where faith comes in. The prophets had faith. The church of today has faith as well. I, I want to talk just for a minute about, about this preaching, because in verse number 12, it says, uh, to us, uh, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you, through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Can I just say that there's something, uh, and it's not because I'm a preacher. I I love preaching. I I don't like hearing myself, to be honest, but I love hearing preaching of the Word of God. I love it. I love hearing the Word of God preached and, and taught as well. But there's something about the preaching component that stirs me up. It's not just me. It's everybody. That's why in Romans 10... Uh, Paul writes to the church there. He says, how, how can they call upon me whom they haven't believed? How can they believe unless they have heard? How can they hear unless someone goes to them to preach to them? He says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And whoever calls upon the Lord will be saved. In the dynamic of preaching, there's Holy Ghost anointing and conviction and life and hope. And I want to encourage everyone to become a student of preaching of the Word of God. And you know what else? You, God may call some of you to preach. Not up here, maybe, maybe, but maybe not. But preach around your table at home. Preach around your workplace or where you go to school or where you do your business or whatever. God may anoint you to bring forth a word and proclaim the things of God. 
You know my story. Lenny, we were, we were converted in a trailer, for goodness sakes, a, a little trailer in Reedsville, North Carolina. We weren't in a church building. Lenny didn't wait. He didn't say, hey, let's, let's wait till Sunday and go to church. Right then and there that night, we received Jesus. He spoke, the, he preached the word of God in a conversational way. It was convicted me, and I'll never forget it. But there's preaching. It's so dynamic. It's so wonderful. So verse number 12. Now uh, we see, you know, there's preaching going on. And guess what? In case you didn't know, people are still getting saved. For some of you, you've been saved for so long, you forgot that the Spirit of God is still at work today. Come on. God is still moving across this land, across the whole earth, still saving souls. Why is that? Because everything the prophet said came to fruition. The Holy Spirit was given, just like it was promised. And until Jesus comes back, this is going to continue to happen. The question is, will you be a part of what God is doing? I want to be a part of it. I'm telling you right now, I, I am a part of it. I want to be a part of it until I see Jesus face to face. I want to have a, uh, I want to have a smooth transition from here to there. Anyone with me? I want to be ready to roll when the roll is called up yonder. Hey, that, that's pretty good. I want to be ready to roll when the roll is called up yonder. The roll call is me. And then it says... These are things that the angels desire to look at. That just kind of blows my mind right there. So we have to talk about angels. Now we're talking about prophets and angels and the church, right? Have three dynamics going on. The prophets didn't know the end of what they were talking about. They, they longed to know. They tried to figure it out. But even angels were curious about this. You know what? There's something about angels that I really love. Something is very sobering. But angels can't get, if angels fall, they can't get redeemed. You know that, right? There's good angels and bad angels. There's two-thirds good ones and one-third bad ones, right? The good ones are under the leadership of the Lord of hosts, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The bad ones are under the leadership of Lucifer, the fallen angel. But if they've fallen, there's no redemption available for them. Could you imagine if people had no hope of redemption? how desperate and destitute and crazy we would all be if we had no hope of something different than this? People are uniquely designed by God to house salvation in their heart. Come on. We're the only species that can be saved. Angels can't be saved. I think about in the Old Testament, this, this isn't, a, isn't a complete list. Angels appeared to Abraham, to Moses, to Jacob, to Joshua, many others. In the New Testament, there's Zacharias and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, Paul and Philip and John. Oh, we have some names of angels in the Bible. There's uh, Gabriel, the, who gave great messages. There's Michael, who was a warrior. There's Lucifer, who's a fallen angel. And there's another one named Apollon, which may be Lucifer, but it may be someone else in the demonic kingdom. He's mentioned in Revelation chapter 9. And other, other angels mentioned. But they're, they're curious about salvation. I, I wonder if the, if the fallen angels are curious. Remember in Colossians 2, I think it is, where, where you have a little passage where it says even, even the spirit, the, 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 the spirits thought that they had Christ when Jesus died. But Jesus exposed them as false and unable to hold him back in the grave. He exposed the fallacy of what they stood for. 
But I wonder if fallen angels, if they wonder what's going to happen, how all this plays out. I think they might know that their time is limited. How great a salvation. How great a salvation. To the pilgrims, you know, who are going through persecution and maybe some of them actually died for their faith. There are people today that are dying for the faith that we have. But Peter is encouraging them, your salvation is so great. It's worth living and even dying for. Wow. So let me give you four things to think about. Four things to think about based on 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. The first one is this. How great is our salvation? Our salvation is great enough to save us from God's wrath. A lot of people think we're being saved from the enemy, from Satan. I I would rather look at it as, well, yeah, but we're really being saved from God's wrath. Hell is real, you know. Heaven and hell are real. And I know right there, I may have lost some people because people don't believe in that anymore. But I believe in it because the Word of God says it. There's a real hell and a real heaven. So we, so we say, yeah, I got saved. I, when I first got saved, I was just happy I was alive and getting healthy mentally, physically, and emotionally, <laughs> to tell you the truth. I didn't realize the consequences of what I was doing. If I dropped dead then, I would have gone to heaven. Hallelujah. But our salvation is so great that we're saved from God's wrath. Let me tell you the story from Luke chapter 16. I think Juanita... Mentioned this to me last week, as a matter of fact. There was a rich man and there was a beggar. The rich man, it says, wore purple and wore fine linen and fared sumptuously. He was rich and he knew he was rich. And there was a poor man named Lazarus. Lazarus was a beggar. He would sit at the rich man's table and try to eat the crumbs off the rich man's table. And it said that Lazarus had sores on his body. He was sick. And dogs would come to lick the sores. Disgusting, but it's what the word says. So you get a picture of someone really successful and powerful and someone just down and out and sick and not worth a whole lot. Well, they both died. Lazarus, it says, died and went to Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom is a, is a, is a phrase to indicate the good part of Hades. Because at that time, Jesus hadn't been sacrificed yet. So the Old Testament saints were in a holding area called Hades. Some good, some bad. There were two different areas. So Lazarus went to the good section. And he met Abraham. And uh, the rich man died. And it says that he died and he was buried But he was tormented in Hades. He was in the bad side. But the rich man could look across and see way over there, Abraham and Lazarus. And they're doing well over here. He's in torment over here. He's hot. He's burning. There's there's death all around him. And he cries out, hey, Abraham, give me some water. Give me something to drink. And Abraham says, no, 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 no. No, we can't go over there. He said, you see, Lazarus? He said, you you had your riches on earth already. 
You had your reward already. Lazarus had, had a bad life on earth, but he's being comforted now. And, and the rich man says, but, but Abraham, please send somebody back to talk to my father. I have got five brothers at home. I don't want them to come where I am. And Abraham says, no, 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 no. We can't do that. Even if they came back, they wouldn't believe. And the rich man says, yeah, but even if someone rose from the dead and came back, they would believe. And Abraham says, no, no. Even if someone was risen from the grave, indicating Jesus... Even with that, there are still people that would not believe. But that's a picture of what the reality is before us. When I think of my salvation, and I, I'm really basically a, a kind of a lighthearted person. I love life, I love my salvation, and I love to sing joyful songs. But sometimes I think, oh my goodness, this is not a trivial matter. This is the real deal here. I think of my father who passed away, my brother passed away, my sister passed away. I've done countless funerals over the last 35 years. So many people have died, and I, well, I wonder, where is everybody? The scripture tells us, you know what? There, there's a, a, there's a, a time to, to, to die and to be judged. There, there's a, a time coming. And yeah, I'm happy, but there are times when I'm really sober, somber about this whole thing. I think yesterday was, a, was an issue for me. I was happy to offer our church to this other church that needed a larger sanctuary. I really was. I was, I was pleased to do it. I wanted to help them out. But I thought, there's over 200 people in church over a man that died. I, I, I want to come to church to see a man that died and rose again. I want this church to be filled with people that recognize God is alive today. I don't want to have to wait for people to die to get them into the house of God. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we were talking one Wednesday night about, about the influence of, the, of our church. And someone had said how, how we've had a great influence, you know. I was thinking about that. You know, if I died, we had a funeral here in the church. There will probably be a lot of people here. But I don't want my death to cause them to come to church. I want the death and resurrection of Jesus to draw them into church. Come on. Why should we wait till someone dies to come into the house of the Lord? But anyway, how great is our salvation? Remember how despicable you used to be? Come on now. Now I'm getting close to home. Remember how ugly you used to be? Not physically, your heart. You've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. If you drop dead, you're going to glory. How great is our salvation? That is great. I better move on or else we'll never get out of here today. Number two is this. Our salvation is great enough to alter our lives now. Do you believe that? 2 Corinthians 5.17, we all know it, we love it. If anyone be in Christ Jesus... He is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away. All things have become new. But do you believe that? Do you live that? Do you feed it? Do you protect it? Do you nurture it and cherish it? Romans 6 tells us that sin no longer has dominion over us. You realize that? When I realized that, I, oh my God, I said, I don't have to do those things anymore. I thought, I thought there was a rope tied around my neck pulling me over there. No, that was all in my mind, in my head, in my experience. Jesus cut the rope to sin. He set me free from sin. But, 
As, as true as that is, Romans 6.11 says, consider yourself or reckon yourself. Think of yourself as dead to sin and alive to God. That's where we get hung up. We don't realize it's true. And it is true. But this could alter our lives. Our old nature is crucified with Christ. We're no longer limited by our past, by our upbringing, by our bad decisions we made, or by our sins. Jesus took all of our pain and hurts and nailed it on the cross. Amen. And we walk away free to do whatever we want to do. So I want to ask the question now, what do you want to do with your life now that you're free? What do you want to do? You want to go to school? You want to get a degree? You want to uh, learn, learn a trade? You want to start a family, get married, uh, be a better parent? You want some emotional healing or relationship healing? I'm, I'm telling you, salvation changes everything. And it never stops. So uh, we've been around, we've been with Jesus for a number of years now. But you know what? God's not done with me. God is still altering my life. Now, I'm very happy being a pastor. I love being a pastor. I love to teach and preach. I love to work with people, counsel people. Amen. I, I love it. But, I, but there's some things in my life that God's reminding me I might want to do. And like in the past, I said, I could never do that. But you know what? I can do that. I could, do, I could pastor and do these other things. I'm not going anywhere just yet. I think the Lord might be laying on something on me to like to write something, write a biography. I like, I like uh, writing little snippets of my life that could be very entertaining if I had time to put it together. Or um, maybe some songs. I love writing songs. I love doing that. I, th these are things that I want to do. But see, if I wasn't saved, I wouldn't want to do these things. I might want to write some prose or poetry. You know what I really want to do? I have music in my life from when I was probably 16 years old. And you know how old I am now. I'm ancient. But I have music from when I was 16 on, 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 on tape. I want to make a YouTube page and put all my music on the YouTube page and call it Ricky Amendola. That's it. Why do I want to do that? It's just something in my heart. God gave me something. I want to, I want to do it. I just want to do it. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? I'm telling you, you're saved. You can do something with your life now. The thief has come to kill, rob, and destroy you. But Jesus has come to give you life and give it abundantly. So don't be sitting around twiddling your thumb waiting for the, the lightning bolt to hit you. Get up and do something for God. Number three. <laughs> Here's number three. How great is our salvation? Our salvation is so great. That we, we have a secure, we have, <laughs> it's so great to secure for us a place in glory. If we died, we go to heaven. Amen. This is our salvation. I don't live at 980 Main Street. I live at 777 Pearly Gates. <laughs> Romans, uh, Philippians 3.20. We are now, what, citizens of heaven. Oh, our favorite verse, our lowly bodies will be conformed to his glorious body. Oh, can't wait for that. This body's on the way out, let me tell you. But our, our, our earthly body, our lowly body will be conformed to his glorious body. We're just passing through, church. Hebrews 12 tells us that we've been registered in heaven. We have a, we're registered in heaven. The city of the living God, uh, the heavenly Jerusalem, with, innumerable, with an innumerable company of angels, the general assembly and church of the firstborn. I remember some years ago, uh, there was a, 
evangelistic program called EE. Anyone ever hear? Stands for Evangelism Explosion. The founder is now deceased, uh, Dr. Kennedy from Florida. But they, they teach you how to have a conversation with people. And the conversation, you could come to a stranger and, and just talk, like if you're in line at Market Basket. And, you know, you get into a conversation and you say, um, can I ask you a question? And the person says, yeah, yeah, what? what? And they think you're, you're going to ask them about the Patriots or something. But you say, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? And the person like, what? And uh, most people say, yeah. And then you say, why would you go to heaven? And most people say, because I'm basically a good person. And then you say, well, you know what? I thought I had some good news for you, but I know right now I've got tremendous news for you. You can know for sure if you're going to heaven or not. And it's not based on how good you are. It's based upon your relationship with Jesus Christ. But anyway, when you die, will there be some rejoicing going on? Well, I want a little tear. But I want a lot of rejoicing. You know what I mean? You know. That's just, <laughs> just the human side of me. I want a little, oh, he was a good guy. He tried hard. But I want some rejoicing to go on. Oh, man, he's, how great is our salvation. We have a place in glory. Think about it. I don't know. I, I think about these things. My father, I want to see him again. My brother, who I love dearly, my sister, I want to see him again. Saints, family, friends, I've buried so many people. I want to see these saints of God again. Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Peter. Oh, yeah. Thomas, Doubting Thomas. Oh, yeah. Timothy, all those guys. John, Mark. Oh, I'm looking forward to seeing them. The Old Testament prophets, the one who didn't understand all this. Yeah, I want to see all that in glory. But mostly, I want to see Jesus. I want to sit at the table with my Lord, the one who made all this possible. The one who saved my life. The one who saves your life. He's worthy of our praise. Our salvation is so great, as crazy and wrong and sinful as we were, and maybe still are. You know, confession is still a good thing to do. He forgives us, and we have a place reserved in glory in heaven. Hallelujah. How great is our salvation? Number four is this. It's great enough to give us a voice. Now that we're saved, guess what? We got something to say. I didn't know that at the time many years ago. I didn't know that I was supposed to say something until somebody said, you should tell somebody you're saved. And I said, why should I tell someone I'm saved? And they said, it's good for your soul. And plus the scripture says to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. But let me, let me give you some things to think about. If you're, if you're saved, if you're born again, if you're a new creation, if you have this whole thing that we're talking about, if you have the, the knowledge and the witness in your heart that everything the prophet said all came to, to be in your life. It all, you're, you're a beneficiary of everything that was said before. You're born again by the Spirit of God. The word of God makes sense to you. You understand it. You know, for the most part, you understand it. But now that you have that, don't you think it would be appropriate to tell somebody? See, you, we have a voice. 
We, we are so fortunate to be able to say, I've received Jesus in my life. How about you? You can say we're the chosen ones in a sense. We're like the blessed ones. We have the truth that other people are dying for. And so we have a voice and uh, we, we need to make our voice known. For instance, in Romans 6.23, great scripture. The wages of sin is, is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's a great thing to tell somebody. Romans 10, 9 and 10, which I just said. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. What about Revelation 3.20? Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone opens up the door, I'll come in and dine with him. So many people, we talked about this on Wednesday night, there's so much spirituality in America. There really is. Not all Christianity. But so many people are looking for an answer, either to the New Age, the stars, cult groups, whatever. There's a lot of spirituality going on, but we have the truth and for someone like that, maybe in our families or at our workplace, maybe God is knocking on the door of their searching for something. What an opportunity to direct them to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What better person to direct them than me or you who know the truth? 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. I read it, said it earlier. But on that day, Jesus will return with a shout. This is something to tell somebody. Jesus is going to return with a shout. Now, I don't know how that's going to happen. All I know is that I'm, we're going to hear, who? we're going to hear something. We're going to hear a shout. I don't know if the internet will have something to do with that, but all over the world, people are going to hear a shout. And the voice of the archangel, there's another angel in the story, and, and the trump of God will blow. Trumpets are so important in God's kingdom. The trumpets whole nother sermon, but trumpets are used a lot to make an announcement. But that's something to tell people. You know, I, I, had, I, I told you many years ago, I was in a Catholic church where I grew up, and I must have said this a million times in the church, but they say in the Mass, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. I said it my whole life. And at this point, I'm probably 22, 23 years old, and that part, Christ will come again, it hit me like a ton of bricks, like, What? I know I said it all my life, but I don't understand what that means. I know Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ has risen, yeah, and he'll come again. I didn't, need, I didn't know that. I didn't get that. But now I know that, I want to tell people, what you say in that church over there is absolutely true. Jesus is coming back, and you better get yourself ready for his return. And the way things are going right now, it could be any time. So get yourself ready. So we must tell the story. We must demonstrate our faithfulness to God by how we live our lives. And we must not, we cannot afford to lose heart. Listen, these people that Peter was writing to, they were being persecuted, literally, probably some dying, or some would be dying in the future. Our trials are different. I know they're different. They're a lot, of, a lot more emotional, a lot more psychological stuff we're dealing with. Maybe some physical stuff, but whatever we're dealing with doesn't really compare to what they were dealing with. So how great is our salvation? Why don't we stand together? I want to wrap this up. How great a salvation. Great enough to save us from God's wrath. That's worth telling somebody. Great enough to give us a new life right now. Great enough to secure a place in glory and heaven awaits us. And great enough to give us a voice and something to say. That's how great our salvation. Now I could preach another hour about how great our salvation is, but I'll spare you. 
All right, so we have a new, uh, new Living Translation, 1 Peter 1.12. Can we read it together? They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Yeah, that's great. That's great. We don't worship angels, but we respect angels. We welcome angels. Sometimes I pray, Lord, send your angels around me, around my car, especially around my car. (laughs) But see, angels are curious. They want to know about this. Church, let your light shine. Come on, let your light shine. We haven't reached perfection yet, so don't worry about that. Do the best you can. Keep running after God. Every head bowed for just a moment. We had a full day. We had worship. We had communion. We had prayer. We had preaching. Talking about how great a salvation. Salvation. I'll ask it one more time online as well. Is, Is there anybody in the house Anyone online that needs this great salvation? You need, you need your own salvation. You can't, you can't receive your moms or your dads or your pastors or your friends. You need your own salvation. And so the invitation is there for you to receive salvation today. I wonder if there's somebody that needs a fresh revelation of their salvation. In other words... Why should our salvation get stale? It's not designed to, be, to go stale. We have to feed it, nurture it, help it. I wonder if someone here is willing to make a commitment to tell someone of this great salvation. A loved one, co-worker, classmate, someone at work, or a stranger even. Let's pray. Father, Lord, this morning at 5.30, I heard the preacher say, I'm going to preach from 1 Peter chapter 1 about how great is your salvation. And Lord, I knew at that point that this was the right word for today. Just something in my spirit said, yes, Lord. I'm not the only one that preaches this message. But Lord, you put some specific things on our hearts today about how great our salvation is that would save us from your wrath that would give us new life now, that would reserve a place in glory forever, and that that this salvation has given us something to say. So Lord, I pray for the congregation, I pray for those online, that we would leave here today encouraged by the same Spirit of God that saved us. Let us be encouraged to go out into this world, into this fallen world, and be a light in the darkness. Let our lifestyle point people to you. Let the things that we don't do point people to you. Let the things that we don't say point people to you. And let us, as Peter says later, let us always be ready to give a good defense of our faith. So Lord, bless this congregation. Keep us close to your heart. Bless those online today. Let us have a good day. Bless our evening service, our 
live stream prayer meeting at six. Blessed Lord for your glory and all that we do this week. Let us just run the race with endurance as we fix our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith. In Jesus name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, uh, Pamela and I will greet you by the side door. Are you still liking that porch out there? Yes. No, there's some handles on this week that were put in. But uh, enjoy the new porch. I'll see you over there. There's coffee available. God bless you.